Hello and welcome to the New Model Advisor podcast. I'm Laura Perkis. I'm a reporter for New Model Advisor and today I'm joined by Oliver Claridge, a tax associate in law firm Forster's corporate tax department, who is here to walk me through the proposed reforms to IR35 off-payroll working rules and the effects these changes may have on the private sector. And if we have some time, we may even touch on some other tax issues that could hit the headlines this year. Good afternoon, Oliver. How are you doing? Good afternoon. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks for asking. So quickly, for those who don't know, IR35 is a tax legislation that currently ensures public sector contractors who effectively work as full-time employees are taxed accordingly. The proposed reforms, which are due to come into effect in April this year, will bring this legislation into the private sector, meaning the onus will fall on large private sector employers to determine if their contractors should be taxed as full-time employees. Oliver actually flagged these upcoming changes to me a few months ago, and we subsequently wrote an IR35 explainer article that's since become the most read article on the New Model Advisor website for the whole of 2019. So Oliver, before we dive into the exciting topic of IR35, I have to confess that I have stalked you on LinkedIn and I noticed you studied at York University. So I think the first glaring question is why would you leave somewhere as lovely as York to live in (laughs) London? (laughs) Um, Oh yeah, York was absolutely lovely, really beautiful, but uh, London's where all the opportunities are. It is. Sadly, you know, it's uh, (laughs) a One of the things that hopefully they'll fix, but uh, yes, everything everything's focused on the capital. It is. I come from Staffordshire and, yeah, not the most prosperous if you want to be a journalist. <laughs> um, yeah, so how long have you been at Forster's now? So I've been at Forster's uh, for three, three and a half years. Um, I trained there as a trainee for two years and I've been qualified in the tax department for a year and a half. Yeah, I already knew that because I stalked you, but (laughs) I'm going to pretend I didn't. Right, so you've been with Forsters for a while now. You're in the corporate tax department. So you obviously know a lot about IR35 and how it works, I hope. Um, But I have to ask, are you surprised that these reforms have become the big contentious issue that they have become? Or did you see this coming a long time ago? Well, I didn't necessarily see it becoming such a, a big popular issue, but it has been simmering as one that's been controversial certainly for those that are affected um, purely because it is so uncertain and unclear as to how to interpret the rules and how to implement them um, so I am I'm pleasantly surprised that it's become something that's such a hot topic issue pleasantly um, surprised yeah. <laughs> it's always nice when when more than just tax experts are talking about tax yeah that, that was what was so surprising about it being so big on our website you know targeted at financial advisors um i don't think i'd anticipated it becoming as big as it as it was going to um but when when we originally spoke you mentioned that there have been quite a lot of issues in the public sector already um but it seems to me that it's now only really exploded and taken off as a big issue as it's coming into the private sector why do you think that might be i think recently um there have been quite a few big court cases uh, that have really brought it to public attention. Um, Lots of BBC journalists who are operating through personal service companies are suddenly being brought in front of the court by HMRC um, to a mixed degree of success. You've had some some big ones. Lorraine Kelly um, was successful, but some smaller ones. Krista Ackroyd um, was unsuccessful, had to pay something like £400,000 of taxes back. So I think the combination of the court cases only now, despite the changes um, being in 2017, obviously it's taken a while to process through. And then also as um, it approaches the, the implementation time for the private sector, suddenly there's a bit of a pickup in people realising they're going to be affected. 
both from contractors and the end clients who are going to have to be implementing the rules. So what with the um, the, the combination of the court cases, I think that this, that's really caught the public eye. Right. So um, again, when we originally spoke, I think you said that there have been quite a lot of issues in the NHS is one of the big public sector companies that have been affected with locum doctors and IT technicians walking out. Um, I actually saw the other day that HMRC kind of tried to dispute that and said there hadn't been as much people, as many contractors walking out as um, had originally been said. So what actually happened there in, in the NHS particularly? Well, the NHS originally um, attempted to put just a, a blanket uh, approach towards the IR35 legislation. So tell all people that are, all the contractors um, that they're going to treat them as disguised uh, employees and obviously that is very incendiary for those people that are going to be affected significant impact on their take-home pay on how they operate so uh, the NHS then had to walk back from um, from that approach and um, certainly with the NHS Digital, they then started to focus on using the um, HMRC uh, CEST tool, um, which is a tool that HMRC provides that allows you to attempt to analyse whether your contractor is a disguised employee or not. Um, and they've s subsequently found that HMRC, that a lot of the uh, contractors that they said were outside uh, the rules, HMRC is now contending is inside, and they've hit them with yet another a big tax bill. So subsequently, since I think January 2019, the NHS changed its approach again, and they then, anyone that they thought was outside um, the regime, they then uh, referred to an external expert to approve or, or, or not. And HMRC isn't questioning those. So the NHS has had a bit of a buffeting um, on all the approaches, yeah. both with the, the blanket um, approach, which really upset uh, contractors, and then attempting to do what they thought was the right thing using HMRC's tool only for HMRC to dispute the findings of it. So it's been always they've turned really, really affected them quite negatively. Right. Um, so, the, yeah, this blanket approach that, that you mentioned, um, do you see that being a problem now in the private sector? Do you see a lot of big companies having to do the same because maybe they haven't got the time to analyse each case individually? I think hopefully the NHS's example will have will have shown private com uh, private sector companies that making this a, that doing a blank a blanket approach is not really the best uh, the best way forward primarily because an awful lot of those contractors have very specific skills and have got quite a lot of bargaining power um, so I think that the the blanket approach is probably the one that the private sector is going to have to certainly big private sector companies are probably going to want to avoid for the, the fallout, both the loss of skills and then also the, the news stories about, you know, if you get a big bank having all of its IT department walk out, you're going to get a lot of negative press. So I th hopefully the, the example of the NHS will have warned off private companies of taking just sort of that, that blanket approach. I think maybe for, it might be a risk for those sort of slightly more medium-sized companies that don't have the resources or the time to put someone aside specifically to go through every contractor's contract and try and work out whether they're, they're a disguised employee or not. So maybe maybe it's those more medium-sized firms that might try the blanket approach, but hopefully those larger firms that have got the resources to do it will have been warned off by the NHS's experience. 
Right, so that's interesting. We'll come back to the medium companies in a minute. But so if that's not the biggest problem for big private sector companies, what do you think are the biggest issues they might face? I think that the, the big issues, obviously, are going to be the cost and time. It's going to be significantly costly, especially some of the largest companies which have um, the, the many contractors to go through all of them, to look at them, to properly assess them, to then probably have go and get um, expert advice to, to confirm that approach so they've got something to defend themselves against HMRC. And further, if they do determine that some contractors are within these rules, um, have a, a process set up for the appeals, have the, um, the, the, the disguised employee go through this appeal process, um, claim that they're not a disguised employee. So I think really it's, the, it's that time and cost factor and obviously, you've got the, the contractor themselves is having to, every step of the way, either dispute or, or go with things, change. So I think an awful lot of you know, lost productivity, lost time, especially, especially at, the, you know, at the moment when we've got so many other big political issues uh, affecting the economy, having that much um, time and focus taken away on, on, onto this issue uh, really will probably affect quite a lot of companies' bottom lines. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that's interesting. Um, but then I, I think I might have got this wrong, but there's a cutoff of 50 employees. If you have less than 50, uh, yeah, this doesn't absolutely. apply to you. Um, so it's more those people maybe who have between 50 and 100 employees, like you said, the, yeah. the small to medium, who are really going to be affected. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so what would you advise for, for companies of that sort of size to be doing to prepare ahead of April? I think it, it's one to, to really think about ahead of time. Um, <laughs> it's easy to say, <laughs> hard to do. If you can get professional advice, it's always good to, to have someone to go off to protect yourself. It's Whilst it's cost, costly to have to employ IR35 experts to look at all your contractors, it's a lot less costly than trying to fix the problem after HMRC have started an investigation. So I think it, being proactive, probably keeping a dialogue open with your contractors as well um, is wise. I think a lot of uh, contractors that I've spoken to are worried because they don't know what the end client that they're working for, what their approach is, how they're thinking. And obviously, it's getting closer and closer to the time that the decisions are going to have to be made. And I think that obviously that's affecting their working at the time, at the moment, whether they, the, whether they want to stay, whether they want to extend contracts, whether they want to move off. And I think maybe offering that sort of range of, of, of options to, to people to say, we can move you on into being full-time employees if they think they're going to be caught or we can restructure your contract to make sure that you fall outside. Just being that proactive and not shutting everything down, taking that blanket approach, which has caused such a big problem. I think um, quite a lot of contractors, from, from what I've heard, are a bit scared of, of being pushed into becoming full-time employees, even though there are benefits for them. Um, so how would you or what would you advise employers to do to kind of encourage contractors that, that it's a good thing maybe to become a full-time employee? I mean, that, that's an interesting one. And I think it, obviously it depends heavily on the, what their, their employees or sorry, their disguised employees slash contractors are, are looking for, um, whether they are looking for that certainty or whether they're keeping that flexibility. Um, I think a lot of the, uh, if you're a, a contractor working primarily with a single end client, then perhaps you'll be more interested than if you've got a whole range of, of, of different clients. 
um, where obviously you, you value your freedom and your ability to, to work with lots of people. So it's a very difficult one um, to, to, try, to try and change an effect. And, but I think it, it's certainly one that you need to put a lot of thought into because a lot of the, the people affected are the ones with the very specialised knowledge, um, the ones that can really affect, change your business. And, um, and if you lose them, you're, lost, you're losing a significant amount of uh, expertise. And it's valuable for those kind of people to m- remain contractors, Yeah. in your opinion? Yes, quite often, yes. Right, so... Um, I got, actually got very excited about this. The government uh, launched a review into IR35. Yeah. Uh, it was like Christmas for me <laughs> uh, after ch- kind of chasing it with so many articles. Um, whether you sort of agree with the changes or not, it's always good to see the government reviewing something after a lot of people have been pushing them to do so. Um, and I obviously reported on that as the headline that they were reviewing IR35. But if you look below the headlines, it, it turns out they're actually reviewing the implementation more than actually reviewing the changes and deciding if they're actually going to implement at all. Um, so do you, do you think that this review will actually amount to anything positive for companies and contractors? I can't really see from what has been announced that the, the review having much of an impact. It, it seems more of a tick box exercise, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. There's no delay um to the so far there's, there's been no announced delay to the, to the implementation of the rules yes I noticed. which <laughs> is are coming up very quickly yeah. um and so there's not really enough time to have a full review an independent review looking at all the facts i think this this comes down to that hmrc are very in favor of the rules they believe that the rules have been effective um, and they believe that the rules are doing what what they they set out um, to do. So there isn't really that will uh, amongst the the people implementing them to to look at them ob- objectively and to maybe row back or make any changes. It's it's sort of a little bit business as usual, full steam ahead. Right. Uh, yeah. I actually saw that in this fact sheet. I think I mentioned earlier. Um, they said something like ten percent of the public sector. Employers um, actually use IR35 currently as it's supposed to be used, mm-hmm. um, which was really interesting. So on that, um, I kind of thought maybe this review <laughs> wasn't well, there wasn't going to be any change. So it's interesting you think that. Um, so assu- yeah, assuming the planned reforms do go ahead, um, what sort of what's your what's your one line of advice for contractors um, ahead of April? I think my advice would be speak to your uh, to your end client as soon as possible. Um, if you've got if you're able to speak to people that are in the decision making process or or part of that um, see what what they're thinking how they're thinking if you've got the ability to um, renegotiate your contract to make it much more clear that you are definitely a contractor and outside these rules that would be um, I think a, a, a very valuable move but really I think if you can it's worth getting an external expert to have a look at the arrangements that you have, get their view on it, and so you actually know where you stand. Because it, it's very easy for your end client to say, we're now we're being very cautious, very conservative, we're applying the rules. And if you, if you haven't had someone who's been dealing with IR35 day to day able to make those counteracting arguments, then you're, you're not really in a strong enough posi- a strong position to, um, to make that decision. Right, so um, I'll be following the review and I'll see if anything happens. Um, but in the meantime, I think I've talked to death about R35. You probably have as well. So, um, I, yeah, I wanted to ask you if there are any other big tax issues that you see coming up this year, um, non-I35 related, um, yeah, that might be hitting the headlines. And what are those? 
Well, I was thinking, obviously, with the Conservative government now coming in um, with a strong majority, uh, the, bu the budget is coming up and we'll have had the first stage of leave leaving the European Union sort of sorted by <laughs> then. Um, I think there there is quite a large potential for a range of changes. I think um, SDLT is one that the government loves to tinker with all the time. It's become quite a political tax. SDLT. I'm going to pretend I know what that is. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> stamp duty land tax. Okay, the, uh, right, the stamp tax duty on land acquiring um, properties, both residential and commercial. Um, and certainly the residential element of SDLT has, we've seen recently, with more political aims have been brought in. So you've got the first-time buyer's relief um, for people purchasing their first property when they meet certain conditions and uh, the additional rates for people buying second properties. And there's a good chance that something like a non-resident um, a further additional rate could be brought in maybe to, to, to tax those people, uh, to tax foreigners purchasing um, UK property as sort of part of the, the government's drive to open up home ownership and make it you know, British houses for British workers right. and all that. All that. So I, can, I think that it's likely that we'll probably see some sort of changes to stamp duty land tax. Um, alongside that, due to the fact that we're, we're leaving the European Union, we'll have a lot more scope to amend... Uh, VAT, uh, VAT legislation. Um, and we've seen that VAT has, can be quite a hot topic issue um, with things like uh, the tampon tax, um, people talking about women's sanitary products having VAT on top of them. Um, because VAT is a EU-wide tax, we have very limited scope to, to make changes while part of the European Union. So there's plenty of chance that once we've left, there'll be quite a, there could be some big changes, maybe to, um, towards charities at the moment. Charities have to pay VAT, but they're unable to um, to charge VAT. So you could make it that anyone making a supply to a charity is automatically um, zero rated or exempt from VAT. Okay, if I understand this, these are quite positive changes? Well, they, they could be, but equally, you know, that, maybe that's a bit more of a wish list for me. Um, <laughs> so, Looking at sort of more um, things that might affect financial advisors, again, due to, to leaving the um, European Union, uh, things like EIS, which is the uh, Enterprise Investment Scheme, which gives people tax breaks for investing in um, risky startup businesses. I have heard of that one. <laughs> Excellent. Um, that's currently subject to EU state aid rules, so there's only a certain amount that each company can benefit um, from from this and also combined with uh, any other benefit the government gives it in, in terms of tax breaks or subsidies. So being outside the European Union, again, we won't be subject to EU state aid rules. We could potentially see uh, an increase in, in those tax breaks, encouraging people to um, invest in, in those startup companies. But then on the flip side, um, one, one area that is probably all likely to be under attack is entrepreneurs' relief. Um, which allows people who start up companies to get a cut in the capital gains tax when they sell the company or, or fi uh, finish the business. Um, and that, so you can get a tax rate of 10% on, on all your gains from when, you, from when you set up, which is very encouraging to uh, entrepreneurs um, setting up their businesses, but isn't necessarily one that the government or HMRC 
really enjoys that much because it's <laughs> quite a significant uh, loss to the Exchequer. Right, so Brexit could give HMRC quite a lot of flexibility and scope to change tax this year. Absolutely. I think um, that this, this year could be one where we see quite a lot of tax changes um, coupled with the fact that we've we've finally got a, a, a government that can actually do anything <laughs> and that governments tend to in their first first budget at the start of the um, of their five years make the difficult tax changes maybe with the hope that people have forgotten about them when they come to <laughs> vote the next time okay well um positive i didn't know tax could be such a hot hot topic <laughs> so yeah i'll be following that um and i'll try i'll get a list from you after this on those topics and i will be following those throughout the year um but yes, yeah, so I think that's that's enough tax. So um, it seems in tradition on these podcasts, uh, I have to ask the guest a, a, a weird, unrelated question. So what is your favourite movie? Oh, favourite movie. I think I'm going to go with Fight Club, purely because I was, I think I remember watching it when I was 14, didn't see the twist end coming at all. It really threw me. Neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one that I enjoyed. I actually, at... at um, one stage, tr- I contracted a hypnotherapist and said, can you make me forget the plotline of Fight Club <laughs> so I can watch it again? And I think he thought I was completely mad. No. So sadly, <laughs> I never got to do, I've never got to relive that, that shock moment, but that, that really stuck with me. And unfortunately now I'm always predicting twist endings for films. So I can't get the, the enjoyment <laughs> over again. Fight Club is, yeah, one of those, I watched it when I was about 14 and you never forget the yeah. twist. You can never rewatch it. <laughs> Such a shame. Uh, great choice of film. Uh, but on that note, yeah, thank you so much, Oliver, for joining me. I won't grill you about any more tax today, um, but I might get you back again soon. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for everyone for listening. If you do have any views on IR35 or any questions, feel free to get in touch. Um, but otherwise, have a wonderful rest of your day and thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.